I was accused uh, a few weeks ago, and we were at a church in Wheaton that has two services. At the second service, I preached a different message so that the worship team wouldn't have to listen to it twice. So I guess I have to do that now for Pastor Paul today. And, and it'll be a little bit different, uh, not exactly the same, primarily because uh, I don't really use a lot of notes, just a few. And so I just kind of go with the flow and and uh, that seems to work out pretty well. You know, I was sitting here thinking that I had some all some really great new material to uh, to think about and to process as uh, as I was listening to some of those opening comments. I was thinking about that thing about pastors and their longevity in local churches and four years versus 25 years. And I was reminded of a time I was with uh, in an alliance environment, uh, youth pastors, and. Uh, there was a, a pastor or a leader that was standing up and he was talking about how long it, how many pastors it takes to change a light bulb. And so in the process of that, he was kind of making some jokes. And so he said, well, it depends on what kind of church you're in. If you're in a Baptist church, you don't have to change the light bulbs because once lit, always lit. Some of you kind of get that a little bit, maybe. So it was a pastor joke. What can I say? If you're in a Pentecostal church, you don't have to worry about it because you just continue to warm up and it's glowing no matter what happens. And if you're in an Alliance church and it's a youth pastor, you don't have to worry about it because none of our youth pastors stay around long enough for the light bulbs to burn out. So, you know, that was what was that was what was presented to the youth pastors that were there that day. But uh, fortunately, uh, we see some wonderful things happening about uh, two or three months ago. Uh, my. Uh, colleague in the office, Chad, came into my, my office and he laid a sheet of paper on my desk and it had a list of about a dozen or so pastors' names. Pastor Paul was on it. And I looked at the list and I said, what is this? And he said, well, depending on how long you stay as a district superintendent, and I could stay about another 10 years, perhaps, or it could be a little less than that, depending on the, the will of God's people and I presume God's voice into their decisions, uh, but he said, during this next 10 years, every one of these pastors will reach a point where they may face transitioning into some sort of retirement, and every one of them will have served their church more than 25 years. I looked at that, and in the 65 to 70 churches that we have around the district, that was pretty amazing. And then I realized that for, the, for, for me, the best choice of wisdom would be for me to leave before they all leave. Because then I don't have to worry about trying to help find pastors to come into those churches. Uh, so we'll, we'll see. But God has blessed us, and uh, certainly with Pastor Paul and as well many others around uh, Illinois and Indiana where Kathy and I serve. Uh, we have a lot of great guys that have served for, for years and years and years. And in many ways has brought a blessing to not only the local body, but the entire community in which they live, they function, they minister, they service. And so I'm grateful for that. But we're here to look into God's Word this morning. Uh, along the way, I probably will say a few things, even nice things about Pastor Paul. But we will look into God's Word this morning. I'm going to invite you to uh, pray with me. It's good for me to clear my heart and my mind and let God fill me, uh, even as we walk into the Word this morning. Father, we want to thank you for this opportunity once again today to pause for a time in our busy schedules, our busy days, to worship you and to learn from you as we look into your word. Father, as you have granted me the privilege of opening it up this morning before your people, I ask God that you would use me as your instrument, not to say things that come from me, but simply to say things that come from you. And that, Father, all of us will be open and receptive vessels that you can pour your truth into. 
Father, may we walk away from this place in just a little while a changed people, not because of what I said, but because of what you've said and how your Holy Spirit has touched our hearts. Father, thank you in advance for a miraculous work of your presence within our midst. We bow before you gratefully in Christ's name. Amen. I want to take you this morning into the book of Ephesians, launching into it in chapter 4. I'll read uh, a few verses and then comment a little bit and jump around to a couple other sections of Scripture, but I trust unpack some of the truth that God has for us in it this morning. But Ephesians chapter 4, the first verse. This is written by the Apostle Paul to a group of Christians living in a city called Ephesus. As we get into the fourth chapter, Paul writes, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient and bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope. When you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. Of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. A wonderful passage of Scripture talking about oneness and unity. Oneness within the body, oneness within the Godhead, sense of peace, almost to the point that we could lean into the word tranquility, but not quite. But a wonderful emphasis about who we, the body of Christ, ought to be. Now, I'm not foolish enough nor naive enough to believe that we are always one. I know that we have differences and we have conflict that arises within us, whether it be within a body of believers like Alliance Bible Church or whether it even be within our own families, husband to wife, parents to children, and vice versa. Conflicts come and challenges come. But the essence of walking in faith with Christ is that we are able to supersede those challenges of those conflicts and understand that we are one in Christ. And that as we are one in Christ, we also are one with each other. And so we have this sense of unity, this sense of, of oneness that, that goes beyond and goes through those things that come into our lives on a day-to-day basis. But it's important for us to remember as we look at a passage of Scripture like this, and as Paul makes this statement and calls us to unity and oneness, that this particular statement, this phrase, this paragraph that I wrote is embedded in the midst of a letter. It's not chapter 4, verse 1, at least it wasn't in Paul's mind and thinking when he was writing it. He was sitting down and penning a letter. He was sending a letter to people that he cared for, people that he loved. And so it's interesting and it's important for us to understand that this statement is in the midst of that letter and it's bracketed by a couple of other things. If we back up a few verses into the third chapter and verse 16, we find that Paul is praying for the church in Ephesus. And in verse 16, we write, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. He is praying for strength and power and Christ's indwelling and faith and love and knowledge. 
And he's saying that's where it starts. That's what I'm praying for you, church in Ephesus. In many ways, I could say this morning, I would echo that prayer for you, the church in McHenry, that we call Alliance Bible Church. Then Paul goes into this section about unity and he says, now, as I pray this prayer, as I bless you with that, as I pour this out upon you, I now am stating that we are one in Christ. We are one with each other in faith. We are walking in harmony. We are stepping in cadence. We're in this together. No one goes it alone. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on in the rest of chapter 4 and he begins to help us understand the blessing and the giftedness that Christ gives to the church. If we drop down a few verses into chapter 4 down to verse 11, we find that it was he, and he's referring back to Jesus, it was he, Jesus, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. Gifts to the church. Now, it's important for us to understand as we look at this that these are different than spiritual gifts. I was reading something uh, on a, in a book or on the web sometime within just the last week or so, and I was uh, intrigued as they, uh, the author was talking about all of the spiritual gifts that are given to the church. And he went to 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 8, and he went to this passage in Ephesians, and he declared this to be a, a spiritual gift. But I walked back through those other passages and it's very clear in 1 Corinthians and Romans that those spiritual gifts that are referenced are something that the Holy Spirit is giving to each of us as individuals as we trust Christ and we begin to walk in faith with Him. And there's a whole list of those and that list varies and changes a little bit depending on who it is that's exegeting Scripture and trying to to articulate those gifts. But this passage is a little different because it doesn't say that these gifts are given to individuals by the Holy Spirit. But this passage says it was He, Jesus, who gave to the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Different concept. A different idea. Not a spiritual gift that is given to John Rich or to any one of you, but a gift from the groom to his bride, to the church. Why? Well, we go on in the next verse and... Paul explains why. To prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. These gifts are given to the body so that the body might be prepared for service. That it might be built up in unity and faith and knowledge and that these members of the body might be urged to seek maturity in the fullness of Jesus Christ. That's why these gifts are given to the church. It's for our good. It's like any groom giving his bride a gift of value. Four weeks, five weeks ago, four weeks ago, four weeks ago, yesterday was a wedding. Four weeks ago. See, I'm the father of the bride. And by the way, that movie is, is closer to the truth than I care to admit. Or at least I cared to admit. Our middle daughter got married just uh, four weeks ago yesterday. <clears throat> and, and I don't know. I, I didn't ask. Her name is Amy. Our new son-in-law, our newest son-in-law's name is Daniel. I don't know what Daniel gave Amy. Uh, at least I don't know the specifics and the details. But I know Daniel well enough to know that he only gave Amy that, something that she would appreciate, that was of value to her that would make a difference within her life, whether it be right at the time of the wedding or even preceding that or now following that. That's what grooms do. They give things to the body. 
or to the to the bride rather. And Christ gives things to the body that are for our good, for our purpose. So he gave us apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastor teachers. Well, what do those terms mean? A lot of times people get kind of excited about some of those terms today. And we say, well, apostles, that was a New Testament thing. And prophets, well, that's an Old Testament thing. Well, evangelists and pastor teachers, maybe we can work that out. Well, there are some functions that Christ has given to the church that are still applicable today. And so I define these functions, not offices, not titles. I don't think we have people running around saying, I'm the apostle so-and-so. I think that's a little bit out of step. That's a little bit off base. But the idea that somebody functions in an apostolic way is okay with me. I think that there's something there within Scripture that shows us that there's this this ongoing responsibility and this release of this gift within the church. And so I think of the apostle as the one who is sent. Sometimes it will be that pioneering kind of person, perhaps a missionary, perhaps a church planner, but somebody who thinks apostolically. They, they push out to the edge. They're, they're willing to go where no one has gone before. You know, that kind of a mentality. When we get to the prophet, it is the one who knows. It is the one who is able to discern and understand and to speak truth. It is a fourth teller versus a foreteller. Someone who speaks truth and says, this is what's happening. Uh, sometimes we refer to them in our language as the truth tellers around us. Most of us don't like truth tellers in our presence all of the time. We would just as soon be a little bit ignorant about some of the truth that's around us, especially if it is applied to something that's within us or internally. And so uh, we push back from them a little bit, but we need them. We need them within the church. The evangelist, one who recruits, the evangelist is that guy that goes out with his arms held open wide and he, he just seems to, to embrace people and bring them in. It can happen both in a guy or a gal. A lot of these can be in guys or gals. They can express these functions within the body. It's not simply a male thing. But, but the idea that this evangelist is out there. We have a pastor down in the north side of Indianapolis. His name is Eric. He's an evangelist. He's also a teacher. He's an evangelist teacher as his primary function in the church. But he's an evangelist. I remember I was on a road trip with he and another pastor from the church a number of years ago. And, and we stopped at a McDonald's for coffee. It was on a Highway 70. We were headed to one of those annual council things that the Alliance does, a big meeting. And, and I, I asked Bill, I said, where's Eric? And he goes, oh, he's sitting over there with that group of men. I said, what's he doing? He said, oh, he's sharing Jesus with them. He's probably going to get three of them saved. And on the way home, we're going to have to stop and do a baptismal service in the parking lot. He's just one of those guys. He just embraces people. And he, he just brings them into the, to the context of who Jesus is. Well, we need people like that, evangelists. And then finally, there are pastor, teacher, the pastor, the one who cares, and the teacher, the one who explains, uncovers the truth of Scripture, and makes it applicable for our lives. Gifts that Jesus gave to the church. When we think of pastor today, we tend to think of the total package. We tend to think of pastor as a title, sometimes as a person, but as a title. And that pastor is going to do all of these things. They're going to be the one that helps us charge the next hill, like the apostle, the pioneer. They're going to be the one who tells the truth all of the time and and does it in a way that, that cuts through all of the fluff that's around us. They're the perfect evangelist. They're the perfect caregiver. And they're the perfect teacher. And the reality is, is no one person can do all of that. Nobody can. Well, there was one person that can, but I think he is busy. His name is Jesus. But beyond that, I don't know of any other person that can pastor a church using our terminology today in that way. 
And so we have to identify who those are among us that carry specific giftings and passions to walk alongside our pastors to push forward in the ministry that God has for each of us as a church. Often when we think of the word pastor, teacher, we equate it in our society today with the idea of shepherd. It goes back to the biblical principles that we see, the ideas of Jesus and others as they write about the concept of shepherd caring for flocks. And as I was thinking about that word earlier this week, I thought, yeah, the shepherd fits really well for both the pastor and the teacher. For the shepherd is the one who cares for the flock. That's pastoral. He is the one who feeds and waters. That's the teacher. He's the one who keeps the flock in the fold, in the truth. That's the teacher. He's the one who defends against danger. That's the pastor. He's the one who leads the flock to rest. That's the teacher. He's the one who knows each one by name. That's the pastor. The pastor-teacher, in many ways, is exemplified within the idea, the concept of the word shepherd. A good thing. Something that we can embrace. Something that we can hang on to. Something that we can think about. You know, I was... um, Uh, thinking about that earlier and I came across the e-invite that uh, was sent out. Many of you probably got it as well. In the first service, I realized as Paul and Rowena looked at me that they didn't get a copy of the invitation to today's festivities, but fortunately they showed up. It's kind of nice, you know, that they did. That's the the big problem with the surprise party is sometimes those that are supposed to be surprised uh, don't show up at their own surprise party, but fortunately they did. But in the e-invite that went out, there was an announcement or a statement about this afternoon's festivities that says, we will commemorate Paul's service to the church as pastor teacher. I thought, that's great. I just read that like Thursday or Friday and it was well past the point when I was ready or willing to redefine or redesign a message for today. And I thought, I like that, that you, the body, confirmed what I was sensing, that that's who this man is. As I listened to him pray in the first service and the second service, praying for the body, I know that I hear that pastor side coming out. Care for the flock, concern, compassion, even mercy extended. We've all heard him preach and teach. He was one of my teachers along the way as we've come to work together, both as uh, colleagues and also in, in many ways. And in, in when I kind of reported to him and he kind of reports to me, kind of this weird kind of a situation, a relationship that we seem to have these days. But, uh, but it's, it's good to know that God uses him as a caregiver and as well as a teacher, someone who speaks into the life of the body. Pastoring in our society today is tough. It's, it's difficult. It's overwhelming. All kinds of things come at us from all sorts of different directions. But it's critical that we remember that pastoring is not man's idea. It's God's idea. For He gave, through Jesus, gifts to the church. I love that passage of Scripture at the end of the Gospel of John, or the Gospel according to John. Peter on the seashore, along with Jesus, the other apostles, Peter is the one that obviously denied Jesus three times. I don't know what the interaction was between the resurrection and this moment on the seashore. Perhaps Peter and Jesus had a heart-to-heart about what Peter had done. I don't know. But it's great and it's interesting to see what happens in this last chapter as, as Jesus goes to Peter three different times in verse 15, 16, and 17 of the 21st chapter of John. And he says, Peter, do you love me? Do you truly love me, Peter? And three times Peter comes back and he says, Yes, I love you, Lord. Each time, Jesus responds a little bit differently, but very similar. Feed my lambs, feed my sheep, take care of my sheep. It's good for us to know. 
It's beneficial for us to know. It's empowering for us to know that the idea of a pastor-teacher serving the local church is not our idea. It's Jesus' idea. He's the one who came up with the concept. He's the one who came up with the idea. And as we look at the pastor-teacher who has served as pastor in our American terminology here in McHenry, for 25 years, or as I said in the earliest service, it sounds better. He served here for two and a half decades. Doesn't that sound good? Wow. Centuries? Is that what you... Oh, or, okay. <laughs> quarter, or a quarter of a century? There you go. That's even better. Quarter of a century. Wow. Makes me really feel old. So, It was Jesus' idea that he come. And he served us well, hasn't he? Can you imagine with me for just a moment? Let's assume for just a little bit that Jesus could come walking through that door in a physical form this morning. And let's assume that he walked over to Paul Martin and he said, Paul, do you love me? Do you truly love me? And let's say he asked that three times. Do you have any doubt what Paul would say? He would say as emphatically as Peter did. He would say with as much energy and compassion and passion as Peter did. Yes, Lord, I love you. And I am absolutely convinced that Jesus would then look back at Paul and say, Take care of my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. That's his calling. It's what God has destined he to do and to be with his life. And Jesus sent him here. Now, I heard in between the services of this afternoon at the, the uh, service, I'm letting a little bit of a surprise out, I guess, but there's going to be someone tell a little bit of a story about how this all happened 26 years ago. And that is before my time, so at least in the office, and I don't know exactly how that went. And, but there was probably a search committee and there were probably some elders that voted or, or sought God's counsel and affirmed God's decision. And, and so it looks like a group of people perhaps men and women alike, I don't know what the search committee looked like, it looks like a group of people made the decision to have Paul Martin serve as the pastor at Alliance Bible Church. Well, to some degree, they were involved. But I want to remind you folks, he's here because Jesus sent him here. That's the primary reason he's here. That's the authority under which he serves. That's the authority under which he leads. He's here at the hand of Jesus I was thinking earlier as Paul was talking about that invite to this afternoon's gathering, that whenever you show up, if you don't have a dish, just say that the guest of honor invited you. I was thinking about there's a day coming when we will all be invited to the wedding feast. And whenever we get there, if anybody says, by what authority are you here? Those of us who walk in faith can say the guest of honor invited us. I want you to know the guest of honor has asked that man to serve here. That's why he's here. I suspect he could probably get better pay and have shorter hours someplace else. But he's here serving because it's Jesus' idea. Pastoring. Tough. Difficult stuff. And yet, it works because Jesus is in the midst of it. I've already said thank you to Paul and Rowena together this morning. And Rowena isn't here right now. She's helping to get ready for some of the things this afternoon. But it's good for me to say publicly once again, Paul, thank you for serving Christ here in McHenry. For loving Christ first, for serving Him as a part of that, 
and then ultimately serving his bride. Thank you for walking in faith through difficult times, through tough times, through joyous times, through exciting times. But no matter what comes, continuing to walk in obedience. Oh, I know there's hiccups along the way. We all have them. But the bottom line is, is you've set an example of what it means to walk in faith. For those of us that watch and sit under Pastor Paul's leadership and authority, it's good for us to remember that there also is a responsibility that we have to walk in faith as well. To embrace and to follow and to, to undergird this guy and what God has called him to do as we together engage the mission that Jesus has given us. Is it possible for us to be missionaries within our own community among those that are unreached? I think so. The purest will say missionary is only reserved for those that travel into a different culture and embed themselves there. But there's, there's something about that idea of us carrying forward the mission of Christ no matter where we live, no matter where we engage with people, no matter who crosses our paths. And so whether we call that a missionary or an evangelist or simply a Christ follower living out the life that Christ has given them, each of us must embrace that and engage that as a body. See, the reality is, is it doesn't matter how gifted Paul Martin is. He cannot impact this community the way that Christ wants it to be impacted by himself. It's us together. And it's not just those that are part of this body, but also those that are part of the other faithful communities within this broader geographical community. We are in this together. We do it together. We win together. We lose together. But ultimately, we do win. I've read the end of the book. We win. Christ returns. His name is lifted up. He's glorified and we are ushered into His presence for all of eternity. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers given to the church so that they might be about the work of preparing the body for service, building up the body in unity, faith and knowledge, urging the body towards maturity in the fullness of Jesus Christ. Sounds a lot like that mission that Jesus gave to us that we typically refer to as the Great Commission. And I lately have just been referring to it as the mission that we, the church, must own. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey what I have commanded. You know, I think that short statement from Jesus sums up why we're here, why we exist, what it's all about for us as a church. I've been in discussions with a variety of people over the years that say, well, the primary purpose of the church is to pray. The primary purpose of the church is to worship. The primary purpose of the church is to glorify God. I lean into those and I go, well, those are all things that we ought to do. But you know what? I can do all of those things better in heaven than I can here. I can pray uninterrupted. Because really praying is just communicating with God. I can talk with him uninterrupted in heaven. There'll be no buzzers and beepers going off, no cell phones ringing, no items on the agenda or the calendar for the next hour or the next day in heaven. I can just talk with the Father. 
I can glorify Him better in heaven than I can here because there's nothing that gets in the way. There's no sin. There's no distractions. There's nothing that gets between He and I. I can worship Him better there than here. But you know, there's something that I can't do better there than here. I can't reach out and touch the lives of the people that do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ better in heaven than here. In fact, when I'm in heaven, I'll be unable to impact their lives. That's our mission. To walk among all nations, starting at home, looking across the regions where we live, the cultures that are different around us, and then to the ends of the earth, not one at a time, not sequentially, sequentially, but all at the same time. We are to make disciples. We are to, to reach into the communities around us. We are to bring people into a realization of who Jesus is and to walk in faith beside them as they discover and unpack and, and come to that place where they can put their faith in Jesus Christ both now and for all of eternity. That's our mission. That's our primary purpose. That's what we're to do. And the way we do that is often directed by those gifts that Jesus gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastor-teacher. It's who we are. It's what we do. We dare not settle for anything less. Years ago, I was intrigued as I looked at a passage of Scripture in a different way than I ever had before. It was soon after we came into the Alliance family back in the 70s. We were sitting in a church in Indianapolis. A guy was preaching and he, he touched on a passage of Scripture in the 24th chapter of Matthew 24, 14. Jesus is in a setting where he's being questioned about the end times. When will the end come, Jesus? Give us some signs. Give us some ideas. And so he talks about earthquakes and wars and rumors of wars and famines and all that sort of thing. But then he gets down to verse 14 and he said, this testimony, the story of his life, the gospel message, it's what Paul was referring to earlier when he said it isn't preached in every church in McHenry County. It isn't some, but it isn't in every. But when that gospel message is preached to the whole world, Jesus said, then the end will come. Touched my heart when I heard that. I was thinking about it. I'm saying somehow in the scope of the sovereign knowledge of God the Father, Scripture tells us that not even Jesus knows when the end will come. That's reserved for the Father. But somehow within the sovereignty of God Himself, God allows us to somehow impact the timing of the return of Jesus as we engage the mission that He gave us, the church, and that is to proclaim, preach the message, the gospel message to every tribe, tongue, and nation. And someday, someday, we'll achieve the mission according to the God the Father's desire and heart. A few years ago, I was mowing one day. I was walking behind the mower. It's a great place to think. Nobody comes up and talks to you. You can just kind of stroll along and everybody kind of ignores you. I was walking behind the mower and I was thinking about that passage of Scripture and I had this picture in my mind. It was almost like a, like a tangible vision. It was almost like, a, like YouTube running through my brain. You know, one of those where you just can look at it and you see the video thing. And I had this picture that someday, someplace, I don't know when, I don't know where, I don't know if it'll be in my lifetime or my grandchildren or my great-grandchildren's lifetime, but somewhere, someplace, in some language, maybe English, maybe Mandarin, maybe Cantonese, maybe Russian, maybe Spanish, maybe... 
Portuguese and the list goes on and on. Someplace, sometime, somebody is going to preach, proclaim the message of Jesus the very last time. It'll be the trigger point. It'll be the tipping point. And at that moment, I had in my mind this picture that God the Father is going to look to his right hand where Scripture says the Son is seated and he's going to say to Jesus, okay. I think with a smile, by the way. Okay. Go get them. And suddenly the heavens open up. The trumpets sound. The robes are unfurled. And Jesus is standing in the midst of all of us with his arms held open wide saying it's time to come home for all of eternity. And at that moment, everything changes. No more sickness. No more pain. No more tears. No more agony. It's an eternity in an environment that none of us can even fathom with our human minds. For we spend eternity with those that have preceded us as well as those around us in His presence. Worshipping, living, glorifying Him. We, the church, get to play a part in the timing of that event taking place. As we embrace the mission with every ounce of our being. I know Paul Martin. He has a passion within his heart to walk in obedience to everything that Jesus commanded. And that encompasses the mission. I don't think Jesus left anything out. I think everything that we need to accomplish life this side of eternity from an instructional standpoint is found within the Word. Your pastor is a man who wants to help you understand what that looks like. How you live your lives. How you engage the mission. How you live in the midst of the mission that God has. The Missio Dei. Uniting himself with all of mankind. He wants to help you do that. I encourage you. I ask you. I implore you to walk that path. Understanding that you represent the coming King. And one day, maybe our lifetimes, maybe not. But one day, he is coming back. And he'll usher us into his presence and the Father's presence for all of eternity. It's what we get to do. It's who we are. And it's men like Paul Martin and many others that help steer us and guide us along that pathway for the glory of God, for the completion of the mission, for the banquet at the bride's table as the groom opens his arms wide. 25 years and counting. I don't know what the next 25 will look like should the Lord tarry. But if he does, I hope that we'll be able to look back, those of us that are still around in those 25 years past, and say, it was good to see what the church in McHenry did in the name of Jesus. In its commitment to live out the mission that God provided. Would you pray with me? Father, we want to thank you again again today for your presence, the truth of your word, the, the mission that you give us. Father, it seems like it would be so much easier for you to have designed another way to proclaim your presence in the lives of people than to use us with all of our faults and all of our shortcomings. But Father, you don't do that. And so God, I thank you that you have used us and are using us to accomplish your purpose. 
Father, may you go with us in strength, in power, and in truth, enabling us to be who you want us to be and to do what you want us to do as we together strive to live in the midst of God's mission. Thank you, Father, for Paul and Rowena Martin, their commitment first to you and then to the church in general and specifically to this local body. Father, pour out your blessings upon them and those that they serve. May your presence be a manifested reality in the midst of those that call themselves the church, Alliance Bible Church in McHenry, Illinois. We look to you with a sense of hope and expectation for what you will accomplish in and through our lives. We bow before you gratefully and humbly and yet with absolute authority for we come to you in the wonderful, the matchless name of Christ our Savior. Amen.